0: Good morning, everyone. Before I uh, launch into the word this morning, we're just going to pray for uh, the fires uh, that are raging on the east coast uh, in the northern part of New South Wales and southern part of Queensland. Uh, Father, we just thank you. Right now, we know that some people have already been injured and that families have lost homes. Uh, Father, I pray right now that you would lead and guide the powers that be to stop these fires from going any further we pray against any further loss of life or injury and we pray against any further loss of homes or property and we ask you to give great insight and keep our emergency service workers safe father in jesus name would you go before them and surround them with your grace and angelic host would be released on assignment around each and every one of those people and the families that are in in the uh, uh, the danger zone We pray for uh, the stopping of these wildfires in the name of Jesus today. And everybody said, Amen, 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 Amen. amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the power of your word whilst we're praying. And uh, just, uh, Father, pray that you would speak through me and that your word would penetrate into our hearts and that you'd help us to hear the things that you are saying to us. And that we would take on board what your word tells us and instructs us. And by your spirit we would be led to do, be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. Help us to put this word into practice. Help us to, to live this word out as you did and what you modelled for us. And I pray that in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. D.L. Moody uh, wrote the following words next to the text Isaiah 6.8 chapter 6, verse 8, in his own Bible. These were the words that he penned in the margin. He says, I'm only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I ought to do, and what I ought to do, by the grace of God, I will do. They are powerful words spoken uh, by a man with a resolve in life to do what he knew what he could do he was one man he knew that he was one man he couldn't do everything but there were some things that he could do he knew that there were things that he could do and there was things that he should do and by the grace of God he was going to do Isaiah 6 8 for those of you don't know says this and it says then I heard the voice of the Lord saying whom shall I send and who will go for us and Isaiah said and here I am send me Here I am, send me. This is what true love looks like. It actually stands in the gap. Jesus demonstrated what true love was by standing in the gap between heaven and earth, between man and between God. Jesus stood in the gap. We understand that that's what he did. Jesus said in heaven, you know, God's got this assignment. He says, hey, here I am, send me. And that's what true ministry looks like. It stands in the gap on behalf of people. Jesus taught that the kingdom of God is an upside-down type of kingdom. The disciples kept thinking of of a worldly model of power over people rather than Jesus' model of power under people. And with Jesus, it's not about a hand out, it's about a hand up, uh, a hand up to serve. And that's what we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks going forward from this point. We're going to be talking about serving. We're going to be talking about... Uh, doing things that God has called us and gifted us to be able to do in his kingdom. In our culture, it seems easier to be God than to love God. Easier to control people than to love people. It's easier to own life than to love life. Jesus asks us, he says, do you love me? And we say, well, uh, can you answer this question first? Can I sit on your right hand or on your left hand? Which one do I get to sit on before I answer the question about whether I'm going to love you? And we're tempted in, in all of those sorts of things. Even ever since the, the Garden of Eden, this, when the snake said, the day that you eat of the tr- uh, this tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God's knowing good from evil. We've, ha- we've been tempted to replace love with power. That's what the the temptation is is all about. Jesus fought that battle all the way from the desert through to the cross. He fought to, to display and to model and to example love, even though he was full of power and could have done anything that he chose to do because he was God who was attached and filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, could have done anything. But he chose instead to love. Sadly, the long and painful history of the church is of people again and again tempted to choose power over love, control over the cross and being a leader instead of being led. A Pharisee tested Jesus with a simple question in Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 to 40 about the greatest commandment according to the law. And Jesus said the greatest commandment is that we love God. That you simply love God. The second command is like it. In, in those, it, it, Some translations say it's equal to the first one. And it's simply that we love our neighbor as ourselves. So the church exists to minister to God and to people. This morning we've, we've seen an example of that. We've ministered to God. We've, we've worshipped God. We've praised God in the midst of our service. And there have been people and teams of people that have also been serving and ministering to people. Right now, our our children are being ministered to by our God chases team. They are being served. Our kids are being served. There's a love that's coming underneath of them, not lording it over them, but coming underneath of them to lift them up and to raise them up, to give them a hand up, not a hand out. We are called to raise up people. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, we are called to raise people up. Ministry or serving is how the church demonstrates God's love to others by meeting their needs and healing their hurts in the name of Jesus and stands in the gap for people. Each time we reach out to love others, we are ministering to them the church is in uh, is to minister to all kinds of needs there's spiritual needs there's relational needs there's there's physical needs there's all sorts of needs that we can minister to Matthew chapter 10 verse 42 says and if anyone gives even a cup of water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple i tell you the truth he will certainly not lose his reward in other words, there's a reward for what we're doing. There's an eternal reward that Christ reserves in heaven for us and that we can participate of and we can collect, we can, we can lean into that reward that God has got for us. In fact, the church is actually called to equip the saints for the work of ministry. The word ministry can be uh, inter, interspersed with or, or replaced with the word serving. And you'll learn about that in the next few weeks ahead. We're called as leaders to equip the saints for the work of serving, the work of ministry. Jesus showed us the way of loving others. How did he show his love for us, you might ask? John 3.16. He simply says, For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This morning I want to lean into a passage. I want to talk about a passage uh, in the Bible uh, so that we can have a common ground from where I want to go with this message this morning and it's out of John chapter 13 and it's from verses 1 through to 17 and I'm going to read those now so please bear with me. It was just before the Passover festival And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, some Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. I love Peter. He just, from what, he's just like a pendulum, goes from one extreme to the other. He's just great. I love him. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you just think about it. Oh, sorry. You'll be blessed if you do them. Sorry. Mixed up then. Mixed up. Jesus gathered with his disciples in this upper room to celebrate one final meal together before he would go to the cross. But what we may not realize is another way that Jesus actually showed love for us. Certainly he was going to die for us, and that's one uh, amazing way in which Christ shows his love for us. But there was another thing here at work. It says in in John chapter 13, verse 1, that that first part there, in the New Living Translation, it says, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. It says this, And now he showed them the full extent of his love for them. The uh, English Revised Version says, Now was the time he showed them his love the most. The New International Red Version, or whatever, Revised Version, says he now showed them how much he really loved them. Jesus was about to show them the full extent of the way that he loved the people that he was serving through service, through service. What did Jesus show his disciples? He showed them the full extent of his love for them by getting down before them and washing their feet and serving them. Jesus served them. It's important to know that it was the custom of the day for a host to provide a servant at the door at any particular dinner party to wash the feet of the guests who were arriving. Remember that in those days, people walked with sandals down dusty streets and roads and they reclined at these tables. These tables were low tables, about 18 inches maybe off of the ground. So what you did was when you reclined at the table, okay, you were quite often, you might have had someone, if you're really lucky, you had someone's head leaning against you because then you'd have like lying opposite to each other. But sometimes you'd have someone's feet really close to your head. And unless their feet were washed, it's likely you'd have figured out where they'd been from the smell on their feet. As a 14-year-old teenager, I went to get some new shoes, to buy some new shoes. I sat down on this table, or this chair in the, uh, the shoe shop, and I took my shoes off. And the sales assistant lady was kneeling down and about to measure my feet, and my shoes came off of my nylon socks that contained my hot, sweaty feet. I've got to tell you, the smell that was emanating off of my socks was gagging material. I mean, it was like sort of... It was it's not good. It was not good. Sometimes that's what a walk through life can do. It, 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 it just dirties up your feet. And this is what Jesus is, is bent down to because having a foot washer greet the guests at the door was standard practice, much like we have someone maybe at the, the door of our church to, to greet guests. Jesus and his 12 disciples are all at the table. Jesus looks at the water. He looks at the filthy feet of his disciples. Perhaps we might see it in his eyes. He's, he might be thinking... Unbelievable. Unbelievable. After three years of sermon after sermon, illustration after illustration, story after story, confrontation after confrontation, not one of them is willing to serve their brothers and wash their feet. What's even more heartbreaking is that not one of them washed Jesus' feet. After giving every chance for one of these guys to stand up, to grab a towel, and to do what needed to be done, he walks quietly to the water basin, removed his outer clothing, he wraps a towel around his waist, and exactly the same way that any servant would have done, And he pours water into the basin and he kneels down and washes the feet of all of his followers, including Judas. Including Judas. Verse 15 of John 13 says, Jesus said to his disciples that I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. This morning I want to give us, Jesus's example, three in one. A three in one example that Jesus gives us from this passage this morning. When Jesus washed his disciples' feet, number one, he showed us that he loved his disciples. Jesus loved his disciples. In verse one it says, he showed them how much he really loved them. He showed them how much he really the full extent of his love for these disciples was about to be demonstrated, not by him lording it over them, not by him doing anything else other than kneeling before them like a servant would and washing their feet. We need to remember that these disciples weren't an easy bunch to, lo- to love and to, le- to lead. They argued about which one of them was going to be the greatest. One of them was about to betray him. One of them would deny him and all 10 of these guys would would desert him in his hour of greatest need. Jesus had the right motivation for serving his disciples. His motivation was love. And that's what we need to do as, as representatives, as Christians who are being formed into the image of Christ, is that we need to have a love for people that drives us to serve them. Not to be served. We've got to have this love for people, a love for people that gets us over ourselves about our own level of importance and to serve other people. Sometimes we can have the wrong motivation, the need to soothe our feelings of guilt to make up for some sin that we might have committed. Well, hey God, I'm so sorry, I'm going to do this for you. I'm actually going to serve in this way for you, just to make our feelings of guilt go away. Or maybe we're going to serve because we want to earn God's favor, because we think that if we serve him more, he's going to bless us more. We get this wrong idea of what serving is about, the motivation behind it. Maybe another wrong motivation might be that we want to be praised by others Instead of being praised by God. Because, you know, it's really hard sometimes to hear his voice or to hear what he actually says to us when we're serving him, but it's so much easier to, to hear the words of people around about. Hey, that was a great word you had, Luca. Just really appreciated the way. Sometimes we can live for those moments instead of living for the praise of the one. Love for others starts with a love for God. When we discover that God loves us with an everlasting love and we matter deeply to him, we want to obey him. We want to do what God asks of us. One of the most important commands that he's given to us is to love one another. We've got to love one another. John 13 verses 34 to 35 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Let me have a look at Luke chapter 7 verses 36 to 39. It says this, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, okay, reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she bought an alabaster jar of perfume and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he'd know who's touching him and what kind of woman that she is, that she is a sinner. See, the the Pharisee, he didn't see the sinful woman as a human being who was loved by God. He had this wrong perception about this particular woman. He saw a sinner, an interruption, a person without the right to be at that dinner table. She hadn't been invited. She'd invited herself. She'd waltzed in, ponced in, uh, you know, like off the street and just made herself comfortable and done what she's done. Jesus saw her very differently though. See, love springs from an awareness. It is only in as much as we see someone as they really are right now at this moment in time and not as they are in our memory or the way that they we think that they can be or our imagination or our projection that we can truly love a person. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I kn- Just as for, to pick on Luke again, I know that... Luke is an incredible guy. God is shaping him, changing him, and he's going to be an incredible leader. He's going to be a great husband, a great father, an amazing grandfather. I know that who he's going to be, but I don't love him in this moment for who he's going to be. I've got to love him for who he is right now before me, without any expectation upon him, other than to simply love him for who he is. Because that's who Christ loves. He loves me for who I am in this moment. Sure, He loves me and and wants to draw out the potential of my life. But in this moment right now, if I'm to serve people out of a spirit of love, I've got to see people as they are right now. That's that's how I'm going to reach this community is by loving the people as they are right now, recognizing that I was in that place. I was one of those people. Far from God, alienated from God because of the way that I lived and the person that I didn't believe in. But even in that moment, Christ died for sinners. Jesus was a friend of sinners. See, this is the deal. Unless we love a person as they are, then it's not the person we love, but the idea that we have formed in our minds of this person. Or this person as an object of the desire, it's not who they are in themselves. Therefore, the first act of love is to see the person as they truly are. Warts and all Everything that ticks us off about them Is a part of who they are And we're called to love them Because I can guarantee you That there are things about you That tick them off And we're called to love you too This involves, what I'm talking about here, this involves the enormous discipline of dropping our desires, our prejudices, our memories, our projections, our selective way of looking at people. And it's a discipline so great that most would rather rush headlong into actions and service rather than submit to see and accept this person as they actually are. And then saying to them, How can I best serve you? Is there a way that I can best serve you in that moment? See, the first ingredient of love is to really see people. The second ingredient is equally important to see ourselves, to ruthlessly shine the light of awareness on our motives. Our emotions, our needs, our dishonesty, our self-seeking, our tendency to control and to manipulate things. We've got to shine those things into ourselves as well. And we've got to say, God, help me to deal with these things. Help me to turn my back on these things. Help me to just do what it is that you call me to do, to lay those things aside so that I can take a hold of you, who you've created me to be, and to live that out. This is a good message, I've got to tell you. This is a really good message. 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers, and I'll put in their sisters as well. 1 John 4, 10 to 11 says, This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. How can I be like Jesus? By having the right motivation that we need to serve others because of love. Secondly, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, He showed us that Jesus was focused on the needs of others. He showed us that he was focused on the needs of others. Often people uh, uh, are in the business of looking out for number one. That was true in Jesus' day and it's definitely true today. From the moment of birth, people urge others to meet their needs. The infant cries out for mum comes to to feed and to change them a toddler whinges until dad stops playing with one and gives the attention to the other one a teenager demands privileges and rights without the responsibilities that go with them adults often seek the highest paying jobs the most comfortable homes the most prestigious cars and are willing to go to considerable trouble to achieve those ends we're obsessed with having our own needs met but jesus was different jesus was different during the Last Supper, Jesus knew that he would die in just a few short hours. And when it came time, to be, uh, it would have been normal for him to be consumed with his own concerns. He was focused, though, on the needs of the disciples in that moment. He recognized that they needed their feet washed and he wanted to demonstrate and model something to them that would last them for an eternity. Jesus took upon himself the very nature of a servant before the benefit of others. He did that for the other people. And in Philippians 2 verses 3 to 8, we understand that that's the nature that he took on. He let go of the nature of being God and he took on the nature of a servant and served. John 13, 3 says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. In other words, he knew he was the Son of God and that he had come from God. In other words, he knew where he had come from and he was returning to God. He knew where he was going. That's who Jesus was. Jesus, who existed in the very nature of God, took the nature of a servant. The nature of God was not exchanged for the nature of a servant. It was revealed in the nature of a servant. Let me parallel something for you for a moment. Let me parallel dirty feet and dirty hearts. John 13, verses 4 to 5. I've read this passage already, but I'm going to read it again. In the very nature sorry, so he took up, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. See, Jesus saw the dirty feet, the disciples' dirty feet, so he got up from the meal. We can see that he got up from his place in heaven and started to minister. It says in Romans 8.3, For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. In other words, he saw the need and he got up from his place and he came down to earth. It says that in the passage that we've read, he laid aside his garments. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, it says, Who being the, in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God? In other words, he, he took off. The robe of righteousness. He took off his royal princely garments in heaven to come down, so that he could then show us what he was doing. And says, in, he wrapped a towel around his waist. Philippians two seven says, but God made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. Jesus then poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Philippians two eight. And we see that, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. And after Jesus had finished washing all of the disciples' feet, he put away the towel, put on his robe and returned to recline at the table. He's then taken a piece of bread and he says, this is my body which is given for you. He then takes the cup and he says, this is my blood that's been poured out for you. He then performed the ultimate act of sacrifice and he gave his life for mankind. As Jesus poured the water into the basin to wash the disciples' dirty feet, he would also pour out his blood on the cross to wash our dirty hearts. There's a huge parallel between what Christ did in serving us, serving the disciples, and giving his life for us through service and giving his life. Mark chapter 10 verse 45 says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I'm sure that the, the disciples, they remembered Jesus' words, that, that he'd come to serve and that he'd, they, they, they replayed these two scenes over and over in their minds. Jesus washing their feet and dying on a cross. They would have carried Him. The, these disciples through their life. This is what Jesus did. He came to serve and he came to give his life. That's why we are called Christians now. We're to take the place. We're to model our lives on the life of Christ, that we are to give our lives and to serve other people. We are to take up our cross daily and to serve Christ. How can we be like Jesus? By having the right attitude that we serve others with humility. Each of us, it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, each of us should look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Number three. <clears throat> when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, Jesus showed us influence comes from serving others. Influence comes from serving others. What does it mean to be like Jesus? It means that we serve others. But most people don't realize that true influence doesn't come from being served to say that we have arrived but rather from serving and giving our lives for others. Mark 10:43 says, "Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant." Luke 22:27 says, "Who is greater? The one Who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? Jesus says this powerful word. He says, but I'm among you as one who serves. I'm among you as one who serves. It's likely that the people who've touched and influenced our lives the most are the ones who went out of their way to do something for us at some point in our lives. We can forget everything that they did wrong because of one moment they did something that touched us to the core of our being and we'll never forget it. Maybe it was a meal, maybe it was a gift, Maybe it was an act of service. Whatever it was, someone did something for us that touched our hearts and it created influence with them in us. This is how Jesus served his disciples. He wanted them to remember this moment, to open the door in their hearts and to influence them in such a way that they would never forget what Jesus had called them to do, and that was to serve. Often it's not necessarily what was done, but the way it was done. How many of us know it's not necessarily what was said to us, but it was the way that it was said to us. If it can happen with the words that we speak, surely it can happen with the way that someone does something for us, the way that they ministered to us, the way that they served us. How can we be like Jesus? By doing it the right way, serving others in such a way that it opens the door to create true influence with them. Because it's at that point, we then connect with one another at a deep level and we can bring about healing, we can bring about strength, we can bring about encouragement, we can bring about a change of life in someone's life. Does that make sense? If service was not beneath Jesus, it certainly shouldn't be beneath us. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to be like Jesus, that we model our lives on his life. And we can do that by following him in the overall style of life that he chose for himself. If we have faith in Christ, we must believe that he knew how to live. Makes sense. We can, through faith and grace, become like Christ by practicing the types of activities that Jesus engaged in himself. By arranging our whole lives around the activities he himself practiced in order to remain constantly at home in the fellowship of the Father. What activities did Jesus practice? Great question. I love that question. Such things as solitude and silence. How about prayer? Or simple and sacrificial living. Sometimes you have to give something up to live the right way. To live in a way that we know that would please God. Intense study and meditation upon God's word and his ways. And we also need to do what Jesus did. He served other people. We can be like Jesus as we serve others. And as we follow Jesus in his overall lifestyle, we can follow what he says. He says, I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. See, Jesus gives us three examples, three in one. The right motivation is to serve others because of love, just as the team come back. It's the right attitude to serve others with humility. And it's the right way to serve others in a way that opens a door to create true influence in people's lives. Remember I started out with the words of D.L. Moody. Remember these words once more. He, He was a man... He he knew as one man that he couldn't do everything, but he could do something. He knew that there were things that he could do and he should do, and by the grace of God, he would do such things. As we serve the Lord, we need to ask ourselves if our motivation is right, if our attitude is right, and if we are serving in such a way as to reach into a person's heart. And create genuine connection and influence with these people that we serve. Let's stand. I almost feel like that this is a meal that we've had this morning. A genuine meal. And sometimes, you know, like before we take of the, the Lord's Supper, where the bread and the juice, it says in Corinthians that we have to examine ourselves first, the motivation of what we're doing, why we're doing things. And I think that it's, it's it, I just feel like it's something we need to do right now in this moment, is to ask ourselves, what has been my motivation? What has been my attitude? And what is, what's the way that I've done this? Just ask ourselves, Lord, if there's anything that I've done out of step, if I've I had the wrong motivation or haven't had the right attitude or I've done it the wrong way, Father, I ask your forgiveness in this moment right now. But I also ask you to help me to, to do it with the right motivation, to do it with the right attitude and to do it in a right way. Holy Spirit, come, speak to us now as your people. Lord, we ask you to speak to us powerfully. We ask you to speak to us deeply. We ask you to forgive us. Maybe if we've not had the right motivation, if we've not had the right attitude or we've not served in the right way, would you help us to see that and to, to make changes where we can? And Lord, give us all a desire to model your lifestyle, a lifestyle of sacrificial and simple living a lifestyle of prayer and communication and talking with you, a, a lifestyle of silence and solitude at times where we, ca- we set ourselves apart just to listen to your voice. Help us to model what praise and worship is that ascends to heaven like incense. But Lord, help us not to forget that we are also called to serve. And help us to identify the areas of our lives where we can give ourselves to serving other people. And in doing so, we serve you. Because we don't serve man, we serve the living God. We serve our Lord God Almighty. Whenever I do something, I don't serve a man, I serve God. I do it, I work as though unto the Lord. So Lord, help me to identify those areas where I see what I'm doing as an act of service that touches your heart. Father, in Jesus' name, today I pray. I ask you to bless and encourage your people today. Fill them with your spirit. Fill them with your goodness and a desire just to simply love you and love people around about by simply washing some feet in Jesus' name. Amen.